Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Abby Goliath, your surname is Shmon or Shmon? Shmon. Shmon. I'm so sorry. I realized as I was introducing you that I didn't know how to pronounce it, so I just didn't say it at all. That's fine. I like I like that approach because I have seen people, because my first name's so tricky, Abigailia. I've watched many uh, MCs go, Abigailia, oh no, I never learned the last bit. Yes. <laughs> yes, actually, I think that's what happened. I think that, yeah, I fell at the first hurdle. But you know, my, my stage name is Vanity Von Glow, which so frequently I'm introduced, misintroduced as Vanity Von Trap. Yeah. Oh. Right. Yeah. So That's people are expecting like fucking five Austrians to come out after me, which they often do in <laughs> <laughs> in certain clubs. Um, do you need some water? We have some refreshment water here for you, because I'm absolutely fucking parched in this heat. It's not right for me this heat. It's just not what I'm here for. Um, so as you may or may not know, I have a podcast called The Vanity Project, mm-hmm. and on the podcast we have guests from. Well, from, from the world of performance, but actually more of the guests on the podcast have been p- politically adjacent. We've had some MPs from the Labour Party and stuff like that on. So coming to Edinburgh is really fun for me because I get to talk to other creatives, but who are working in a slightly different aspect of performance from me. Because Lord knows I know enough about drag queens. So <laughs> I'm so glad that you're both here with me. Um, John Courtney, you are a great success story in the performance arts because you're a winner of Britain's Got Talent. I was, yeah. yeah. In, uh, oh, thanks. <laughs> and in a recent winner. We've not dug you up from some television no, no, crypt. No, it was, well, it was 2020, which, let's be honest, is what 2020 will be most remembered for, me winning Britain's Got Talent. That's, <laughs> no, that's pretty <laughs> that's much it. what everybody's thinking about. That is the um, year of that. Yeah, so my, my dad told me, um, not long before he died, he died in 2013, and he was a singer and an actor, and he said... Jonathan, call me by my proper name, Jonathan. He said, if you ever intend to win a national television show on, on national TV, make sure it's during a pandemic. 
because the viewing <laughs> figures will be through the roof. And he was right, of course. Mm. Then he failed to mention the ensuing lockdown, the uh, struggle to sell tickets for my first tour, and the closure of all the theatres. Hmm. <laughs> The bastard. So I should never have listened to him, really. But it was um, it was sound advice at the beginning. So I followed it, and yeah, I won during a pandemic. Yay me! Yes, congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Well, I know it was two years ago, but that's absolutely brilliant. I'm excited yeah. to ask you a bit about the show you're doing here. Sure. But I should also introduce everyone to Abigail's work. Yes. If they're unfamiliar, Abigail is a comic, but also uh, a TikTok celebrity. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, I started uh, posting on TikTok about a year ago, and um, I, I kind of have like three themes that I go through and then I'll just post bullshit. But um, I do British biscuit reviews where I eat British biscuits and then rate them, and uh, then British people on the internet yell at me um, because apparently like Jaffa cakes are lovely. Lies, they're disgusting. Well, they're not and biscuits either. Cakes yeah, well, biscuits. that's the thing. That's or the thing. Because of VAT reasons. Yeah, they're there's cakes, a whole yeah. VAT. Oh, oh, they told oh, the oh, comments you know. okay. were real. <laughs> it's and, true. Uh, yeah, and what? They, well, you'll know because you have so many clips on the internet. What? What? One person will say something, and you'll be like, interesting. And then an hour later, you'll be like, three other thousand people wanted to share that information mm -hmm. with me. Mm. And um, then I also post my stand-up, and kind of the one that made me go famous. TikTok famous, so like, this isn't like real fame, you know. Uh, was I posted a bit about uh, pegging my boyfriend, and it got three million views in twenty four hours. Wow. So, uh, so yeah, we're quite proud of that. And he was like, "Now you have to go online and tell everyone the truth." I'll tell you guys. Okay, because yeah, I don't Can, even know the okay. story, so I want to know. So Can you just explain what? Pegging is. Am I the only person here that doesn't oh, know? What oh, you're, oh yeah, you're the only. I'm really so sorry. Welcome to I'm a middle-aged father of two. If it's something. Pegging is like when a woman or a person, it doesn't have to be a woman, wears a strap on and uh, has sex with with the guy. With a guy. Okay. Yeah. Right, cool. Yeah. So Peggy. you do know it, John. You just didn't know. It was I just called. didn't know. I thought it was cool. I just thought it was Happy Tuesday. That's yeah. what I know it as. So, so. <laughs> That's what my wife calls it. All right, um, pegging. Good to know. Yeah. Right. So the the story is. Um, that me and my boyfriend made this bet that I couldn't go three months without a drink of alcohol. And we bet sex things, because we're adults, but we're poor. And <laughs> he said that if, he, if uh, I have a drink within those three months, I'd ha uh, he'd get to have anal sex with me. And then if I win, I got to have anal sex with him. And I'm not gonna do the whole bit because it's weird, like, you know, just chatting it through. But, uh, and then it goes on to be like, I won, and then I'm pegging him, and while I'm doing it, I lean over and I say, I've been drinking the whole time. <gasps> <laughs> and so that got viewed, like, across the world. <laughs> and, uh, and I asked him beforehand, I was like, can I post this? Because when I wrote the joke, like years ago, years ago, he was like, we, we just started dating. Like I wrote it because I thought he'd break up with me. Like I was like, and now we've been together for eight years. And, uh, and he was like, yeah, you can post it online. And it blew up. And then after it blew up, he was like, now you have to tell the whole internet the truth. Because in reality, there was a bet but I lost the bet. Ah. So in reality, like, like it was the opposite. But who really won? Because I wrote the joke, and now the entire world, right. you know. So I think I won in the long run. 
Yes, and but at the same time, perhaps you're an alcoholic rather than an oversharer. Yeah. <laughs> so it does depend on how you look at that. Yeah, that's a very valid point. That's and true. to be fair, it sounds like either way, he's going to win. Oh, yeah, we both had a lovely time. It I was. Mean, a, yeah, come on. It was. I mean, since, since then, my boyfriend is, uh, is bisexual, and he's come out of the closet, and he's now public about it, and he likes to dress femme, and sometimes he does drag as well, and he's just all recently come out about this. And like I said, that joke's so old, and some of our friends are like, did you know? I'm like, I have been telling you all for years, <laughs> and no one is listening. Like, the jokes are, are like little Easter eggs throughout my relationship. Hmm. How does a joke like that spring into your mind, I wonder? Because if it's... We had one of our guests here the other day, I think it was Kate Barron, was talking about that here for the Fringe, she's doing a show in which she talks about her boyfriend, but actually she doesn't have one. Mm. Um, but that, that's sometimes to be kept a bit shtum because she's trying to do a bit of marketing for the show. She's trying to communicate with the audience. So it's not necessarily relevant to tell the audience that she is, in fact, single because we're going on a journey in the story. So for you, is that like comedy comes from a real life experience or you sit and you think, wouldn't this be funny if I said it? Oh, no, it all comes from a real life experience. And if what happened at the end isn't funny, like me losing, uh, <laughs> I just changed the ending. Exactly. But um, yeah, I do autobiographical comedy. So I tell stories uh, about my life in 90 percent of it is true. Yeah, and then ne never let the truth get in the way of a good joke. Yeah, exactly, got, yeah. exactly. Now, John, your your work that people will be most familiar with isn't also autobiographical because, I mean, your golden buzzer moment on Britain's Got Talent. So on Britain's Got Talent, the golden buzzer was pressed. So straight, does that mean you're straight through to the final? Straight through to semi-final. Straight semi -final. Yeah, I didn't have to wait for the vote. So Ant and Deck gave me their golden buzzer, yeah. Oh, that's Which good. in itself was quite, I don't normally watch the show. I'm, I'm normally, I was always working on Saturday, so I never got to watch it. So my wife would often record it when I was away and we'd watch the good and the bad and stuff. But I didn't really, I wasn't really a, a follower of the show. And it was, I sh I've been told so many times not to say this in public. Um, so if we can just keep this between us and, and whoever's listening. Um, <laughs> just after they hit the golden buzzer, and we had a big celebration. I was the last act on at the Palladium. So um, afterwards, we were hanging out with the judges. We had a bit of a party. And then we got, finally got back to our hotel room. And uh, we had some more champagne. And I, I said to my wife, I said, how many golden buzzers do Ant and Deck have? And she said, what do you mean? I said, well, I'm in London. They're going to do auditions in Manchester. I said, it goes over the course of about two months, these auditions. How many golden buzzers do Ant and Deck have? And she said, babes, they just have one, and you got it. Yeah. And I said, that was their only one? And she said, yes, don't ever tell anybody that you didn't know that. Because I was so excited when they gave it to me, but I honestly thought they had another one to use in Manchester or yeah. something. Yeah, so I wasn't really up to date with... It was still lovely, but at the time I was like, oh, that's nice, thanks guys for giving me a golden buzzer, but it was the golden buzzer that they had. But I mustn't tell anybody, so... Yeah. And th so the song that you did was... Uh, so you're a pianist, you sing and play piano. Yeah, piano and comedy and, yeah. Yeah, and, stuff, and, yeah. And, 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 you know, so you're right... The song sort of charts... Uh, you're, you're kind of singing about the experience of being on Britain's Got Talent and the build-up to that and the emotions of that. But it was one of those quite sentimental, sort of um, wholesome moments on the show, wasn't it? Yeah, well, they, they filmed it. I didn't know how they'd filmed it until I saw it broadcast, which was weird as well, because I saw my son running up on stage because my family were there. And I wrote the song, 
you know, it, it's the, you can make fun of the judges, which everybody does. It's like an easy go-to, pick on Simon, blah, blah, blah. Um, but then the reason I wrote the song is I, I, a lot of professionals get poached for, for Britain's Got Talent, probably the same with America's Got Talent. Yeah. We get emails saying, I'm a television time. producer. We think you'd be suitable for our show. Mm -hmm. And I always turned it down because um, I didn't want to risk being put in front of judges and having my career judged because, you know, I was a professional. I was working for 20 years. I was busy. I wasn't a name, but I was busy and it was great. Um, and I didn't have the time to sort of take out and do it. And then a friend of mine said, look, why don't you go on it? Because you might get some good corporate gigs out of it. You get right. a little bit of exposure. It's got 11 million viewers. And I said, I don't know what I'd do. My one-man show had comedy, stand-up, piano, singing, bit of dancing, a variety of stuff. And he said, why don't you write a song about auditioning for the show, about why mm. you're auditioning? And so I made it quite sincere. It was about the fact that I'd like to be at home more and see my kids more and be able to pick and choose gigs a bit more. And... Uh, so I just wrote from the heart, really, and then I sent it in and said, is this something that, that could work? Um, and, you know, it gets rewritten and rewritten, and you think of other ideas. And, uh, and then they filmed it with lots of shots of my family in the audience, which the audience didn't know, but we were there from 9 in the morning till 11 o'clock at night, and I was the Jeez. last act on. So by the time I went on, my then 9-year-old son, who's now 11, was exhausted. He, he'd been there all day in the little holding yeah. room, and... And he was so tired that, you know, you get so tired that your, your eyes get water in, he's rubbing his face. Well, all the shots they filmed of him being emotional at his daddy on stage was him knackered in the wow. audience. And you cut to, I mean, a, a couple of times he turned to his brother and he, and, and, and he said things, you know, I'm so proud, which they caught that because they were mic'd up, you know. Um, but a lot of him, cut, he's doing this, and I could tell he was just tired. But, you know, <laughs> that worked. <laughs> Never let the truth get in the do way you, of a good television exactly. show. <laughs> do you think the producers planned that? They were like, he's got young kids. Yeah, put, put, him him on on last, yeah. put him on late. Put him on late. Possibly. And then he had a bit of a breakdown as well because they, they're, they're mic'd in the audience so they can catch their reactions. And my youngest, we didn't know this at the time, but he thought it meant that the whole theatre, would, be, it, whatever he said, would be broadcast. Oh. So he was, he was refusing to really speak. And they asked him to run up originally because he's the small, cute one. My eldest one is 17 now. He was 15 then, the big teenager. And they said to Alfie once, before I got the golden buzzer, but the judges were stood up clapping. So the producer said to Alfie, run up onto stage with your dad. And he basically went, fuck no. And he dived under the seat. And he, he didn't say fuck no, but he hid, he hid under the seat. And oh. he had a breakdown thinking that everybody would, so my yeah. eldest son went, I'll go. And he ran up and he runs like Mr. Bean as well. I hope he doesn't listen to this podcast, <laughs> but he's got the word. He ran up on stage like this and gave me a hug. And then the audience went, ah, oh, and then Ant and Deck ran out. So it was all, it was, yeah, it was quite, and watching it broadcast was amazing because as I say, I had no idea that they'd sort of filmed it. I, I, going into it, I said, look, BGT, AGT, all these talent shows nowadays, it's a TV show first. It's oh. a talent show mm -hmm. second. Yeah, very much. It's not like the olden days when we had Opportunity Knocks and New Faces and stuff like that. It's where so slick, you know. It's slick, and it's Simon's. he's a businessman. He's made a TV show, and he's done a really good job with it. But if you go into it thinking even winning it is going to change your life, I mean, COVID changed our lives anyway. Mm. BGT, let me carry on working. It's, a, it's, a, it's not the answer people want when they say, did winning this show change your life? Under normal circumstances, it probably would have made more of a difference. But as it was, all my friends had stopped working for a year and a half, mm -hmm. like we all had. Mm -hmm. And I think winning that put me back on top of the pile of getting rebooked when mm -hmm. theatres came back. So I'll be grateful for that. But um, yeah, it was a great experience. Yeah, it's fun. You know, I, I'm inspired because you're because <laughs> I've never told this story before, but I feel like telling it. Um, it's very embarrassing. Do you know the story I'm going to tell? So. Like, so as you say, right, Nathan, our producer, knows a lot about me. Um, 
so as you say, you know, anyone that works in cabaret in the UK gets the email every year from Britain's Got Talent trying to get them to go on. So same with The Voice, same with all these things. And I said no, I was like, for years and years, because I just, you know, didn't really feel right and, and whatnot. But one year they were really persistent. They're desperate, by the way, to have a drag queen come on. They're desperate to have a drag queen do well. Um, but it's quite hard to fit a sort of adult entertainment into the show in the right way or whatever else. Anyway, they said they would like pay to take uh, pay, pay my train and hotel and everything up to Manchester if I went that that weekend or something. And it was the last day of filming of the whole season. And so me and my friend Lady Lloyd, who's a DJ in London, we were like, "Oh, should we go and have a night out in Manchester? This will be fun, and we'll just do it. Fine, whatever." So I go on, and <laughs> it was it was a hot day. It was in I don't know start of April or something, it was getting really hot and it was hot backstage. I go on and I was, I, I was very well received, thought it was very amusing, but I also play piano in my show, and I, but I was just doing a straight song. So I made them, made them laugh, was chatting away, and then when I sat down, I just sang a song, and I got four buzzes off. Yeah, Aww. so they, they, weren't, they weren't feeling it. And then they were all said, they were like, we were so disappointed because we thought you were going to do a funny song but uh. you, because you had been amusing, first of all. Anyway, Lady Lloyd and I went on a night out afterwards and it was very embarrassing because I had been buzzed off by all four judges and it was quite disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> and we kept going to every bar we went to and I decided to get on one. I was like, I'm going to get absolutely smashed and I'm going to flirt with all the boys. And every time I was flirting with a boy... I'd be chatting away or whatever, or maybe having a kiss, and Lady Lloyd would walk past and go, eh, eh. <laughs> 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 This Brilliant. haunted me for the rest of the fucking night. Um, so it's just nice to hear a success story like this from, from the show. Um, are you a big social media person, John? Do you know what? Uh, no. I mean, I, I, I'm, no. There's no way around it. My manager pulls her hair out because... Obviously, on the back of winning the show, it goes a bit crazy. And, mm. and it is what you need to do nowadays. It's, it was for the Fringe as well. It's my first time at the Fringe. And, and I'm just a middle-aged guy that's, you know, before I did BGT, I was the guy taking pictures of his food and putting it on Facebook mm. and saying I'm having a nice dessert. Mm -hmm. Or pictures of my kids for my mum to see. And, you know, I had a few hundred followers. And, it was, and I never used it for, for business, really. I was, all the bookings I was getting, I was getting without social media. Um, so no, it, I'm terrible at it. It strikes me that Abigail, with your with your TikTok, that what you do, which I think you have to do to do well on social media, is you really harness the medium well. Like you understand how to interact with it because you've been doing stand up for yeah. Time. So I, uh, there's a couple things. One, as like like so many people, I downloaded TikTok, being like, what is this? Mm. And uh, I, it's the only social media app that I've ever liked being on. Like, I like interacting with it. I like watching things on it. And um, because I enjoy the app, I enjoy making stuff for it. Yeah. And I think that's very important. I, th I think it's so hard when you are a live performer and uh, your agent is like, but are you using Instagram? And you're like, I don't want to use Instagram. I want to do jokes on stage. Um, and then do the hashtags is, and the yeah. certain hashtags at a certain time and oh my god yeah, yeah. and harness the algorithm and, and write the peaks exactly and, fuck off. Oh. and i do have like a couple rules like one i will not get involved in tiktok drama because there's like drama b between tiktok you know what i'm talking about it's so fucking weird i want to know what, what oh god Where between who start? between users or between yeah between like big content creators okay and uh, yeah, backstabbing and stuff, and it gets yeah, a bit bitchy. Or someone will say something that's not really like right on, but they're like, oh, whole okay. platform is social justice, uh, and I then they do something a bit 
not so nice. Yeah. I'm yeah. I'm I'm just staying very obtuse because I I knew someone who had it happen to them, um, and um, but it's like I don't respond to any hateful messages. No. I don't. I only respond to like positive stuff on it. Just because, like, one, I, I have a theory, and I could be wrong, that once you start feeding the trolls, oh, yes, you invite yeah. more trolls. So, like, when people are like, oh, I get hate, so much hate on my social media, I get, I mean, every once in a while, you get the, like, oh, you're not funny. I'm like, ouch. <laughs> like, first of all, I am, because that was, like, that's a live comedy bit that everyone laughed at. And has like a hundred thousand yeah. views, but secondly, it's like this. What it? Oh my feel Like no one's ever said anything on it to me that's really upset me. Do you mm. know like killing them with kindness? Because I did that to a few of them when it was. I, I try not to read too much stuff now, but I, I know that. Um, who's the singer on Twitter that does? Uh, uh, James Blunt. Mm. He's, he's, oh, he's, he's, he's so quite famous for it. replying to trolls and stuff. And I've done that a few times. If they just say something like, you're crap, then there's not much you can do to that. But some of them have gone to sort of detail about why they think I'm crap. Yeah. And I'm sort yeah. of like, well, you reply and think of something amusing. And sometimes that will get more likes than whatever it is that, I, that they're commenting yeah. on. I'm like, this is insane. And it makes you feel a bit better if you've just risen above it and been the bigger person. Yeah. But, but there's, yeah, the fault. I wrote a song about this in my, in my show called Baldy with a Buzzer. Because a few people, as soon as I won, people were commenting, he's just a baldy with a buzzer. I went, that's actually, if you're being mean, that's quite funny. That's an idea of a song. Yeah. I wrote a song and I took all the negative comments from my social media feed. Yeah. I spent a day getting all the best negative comments. That was a really shit day. I mean, I just <laughs> wrote down all the negative comments and then put them in a song. And uh, in the show, I have them flash up on the screen as I'm singing them and the comments come up and I made it. And that made me feel better. It was like mm. I wrote the song about it and it was, uh, it, you know, the fact that I took their power away and got some material out of it. I'm like, you know, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> Which is the last two words of the song. Fuck you. <laughs> I had a person literally just the other day, there seems to be a rising debate uh, sort of in, within our culture or on Twitter, <laughs> it's not the same thing, um, <laughs> about whether or not drag is either appropriate for kid child audiences and uh, whether or yes. not it's misogynistic. And so there's these trolls that keep <laughs> telling me, um, by the way, I don't do shows for kids, like I have literally no interest. Um, in that, but I also am not, I don't care if there's like a kid at a wedding or something, I'm doing a show, it's like, hmm. yeah, who cares? I'm not doing an erotic striptease, you know what I mean? Um, I know queens that do, and maybe they would have to think about that. But anyway, so this troll, but trolls coming after me, you know, telling me that, um, that my work will be looked back on the same way blackface is, um, mm. and that it's offensive to women, and I'm like, but do you realize that the audience from my shows is like 75% women. Mm. And then, because I fed the troll, you know, I shouldn't mm. have answered. And then yeah. they're like, really? You, 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 count, you, you count the audience members? I'm like, well, I see the fucking ticket breakdown. I know exactly the gender and age and, you know, of people who bought their tickets on Design My Night or whatever else. So actually, yes. Also, I have eyes. And I, oddly enough, this is my job. I know exactly who's in the audience. Um, yeah, so anyway, ended up eventually uh, deciding to offer them tickets to the show. I was like, I must offer them tickets to the show so they can come and understand. So if this fucker shows up, I will be absolutely amazed if they come to like a drag brunch in London. Yeah. And then they're not going to come. But I, you, I figured just be really sweet and offer them something and then you've done your bit to try and persuade the world. And your dream is that they'll come and afterwards they'll come up and they'll say, oh my God, I was so wrong. Because <laughs> that's going to happen. These people have got any sort of self-awareness to think, hmm, maybe I'll rethink my bigoted opinions that would and, be, and change my mind. That's that would be magical. Happen. I suspect yeah. that won't happen. I don't think they'll come. I don't think they'll come. Yes, I mean, and if they did come, yeah, anyway. But you I'm did the right sure. thing. Yeah. 
well, I don't know, I think I delighted in taking a moral high ground. Exactly. There's, yeah, that's what there's, there's a little halo polishing going on there, I think. <laughs> <laughs> why not? Um, so, uh, John, after uh, Britain's Got Talent, you do the Royal Variety? Yeah, yep, that, um, that was screwed by COVID too. We had no audience and no royals. It was uh, no, royals. Had, oh, no royals. None of we them. Had, to we had Charles on a Zoom call. Charles did a recorded video on a screen. <laughs> uh, and in the audience, wow. we had television screens on the front. I think about 200 television monitors in the stalls with people's faces on them. That's bizarre. Um, yeah, it that was a dystopian. It was, it was really weird, and they, yeah. I'd been obviously I got told about it and stuff, and it was um, again this is this made it into the show as well because I, I wrote about it. I said, you know, this is a, I mean, yes, you get paid a quarter of a million pounds for winning, which was amazing because I hadn't worked for two years and we were about to lose our house. Literally, it was that bad. So that saved our house. That was mm. amazing. But then the big deal for any certainly any British entertainer is the tradition of the Royal Variety Show. It's been going for over a hundred years. Anyone who's anyone has been on the Royal Variety Show, and it's all of a sudden you're a part of it. So it, was, it still went on, thank God, and it was great. And I, you know, I was on stage with some pretty cool people. Um, and it was great. And then I, so I was driving up for the rehearsal, and Jason Manford was hosting it that year. And he'd done a Royal Variety three or four times as a guest, but now he was hosting. And I didn't know Jason. We never worked together. But I was driving up, and my manager called and said, Jason's asked if he can have your mobile number to give you. I went, oh, that's really sweet. He's phoning up to give me a little pep talk and welcome to the show. And, so I'm dri- and, he, and Jason comes on my hands-free on the phone, and he says, John... Jason, hi Jason, nice to chat to you. He said, listen, I watched your BGT stuff, well done. I went, thanks. He said, your semi-finals and the finals, we had no live audience, it was done with a virtual wall. He said, you're the only person I know that's worked to television screens. Have you got any tips for me, please? Oh, wow. <laughs> I said, no, I had to do it for three minutes. You've got to do it for two and a half hours. Oh, you're God. on your own, mate, good luck. <laughs> and he did a good job, they chose the right guy, but it was, it was really tough. It was tough, he did two and a half hours of hosting to to nothing, you know, just TV screens, which is, yeah. But it, yeah, I was a part of the Royal Variety, which was still, you know, uh-uh, done it, yeah. I don't know, like, what do you think it was harder? Like, performing to the Royal Variety when people are watching via Zoom, but it's empty, or performing to screens of people who are on Zoom in the room? Like, yeah. I know you didn't get to do both, but which, like, after doing it to screens, do you think it would have been better if it had just been empty? No, I think the screens gave it a small illusion. I mean, okay. nothing, you know, we all know there's no substitution for a live audience. Yeah. I mean, I was doing a lot of virtual shows straight after winning because we were still in lockdown. Mm-hmm. And I've got a little studio at home, and I've got a green screen, and I was doing TikTok stuff. Um, and I learned quite quickly. I'm lucky because I'm not just doing stand-up. I've got the piano. So I can do a gag, and then instead of waiting for the laugh and doing the timing, I could just play a riff. Yeah. Yeah, ba bum And that covers, hopefully, people laughing at home instead of just finishing a joke and then waiting, hoping people are laughing, which puts you on the back foot and ruins all the... Yeah. So I was very lucky that I had that. So I got quite used to doing the virtual stuff quite quickly um, and not having any reaction, and it's less than, than ideal, but, you know, we do what we need to do. So I think at least seeing people laughing, because we had no audio either. You couldn't hear them. Oh, so yeah. you can see people going. <laughs> if you if you can't well, see this, then that's yeah. me miming, laughing. Um, and it was <laughs> it was it was you know weird. But then you think, well, okay, at least they're laughing. So yeah. if there was just nothing there, then you've got to fake it and and play to the camera. But also, I wasn't doing stand up. I did a song that I'd written, so I wasn't standing mm. there trying to do the, some of the stand up that I do. So really tough, no live audience. Yeah. So Edinburgh Festival, we're here, um, and. Uh, you both got your shows here. Abigail's show is called Legally Cheeky. Mm-hmm. 
So what does that mean? Well, um, so in 2019, my show's not about the pandemic, hashtag brag. Um, <laughs> the only one who doesn't mention it, not once, not once, not once does it come up. Uh, in 2019, my boyfriend and I, um, who I did not peg but told the internet I did, um, <laughs> applied for a partnership visa, which is a, exactly like a marriage visa, only you're not married. So it's more paperwork because you have to like prove that you're a couple. And uh, everyone said I'd get it, that we'd get it because we were fabulous candidates for it and we met all the criteria. And the home office denied my application. And uh, yeah, so we had to go to court and fight the home office on an appeal. Oh God, not and, pretty. Yeah, and my friend who was my lawyer was like, oh, I'll help you do this because, you know, all you have to do is get the paperwork right and we'll just submit that and then you'll get it. And um, she is an immigration lawyer, but she's also a stand-up comedian and burlesque dancer. So, like, talk about a triple threat. And, um, and then, God bless her, she wound up having to go to court and be my advocate. And, uh, yeah, so it was, it was about that kind of experience. And I'm not going to tell you guys uh, whether or not I wound up getting a visa at the end. I'm just telling you I'm in Scotland right now. So I th <laughs> think we know how it ended. That's ruined it. Yeah. But you know, so you, you could know, be deported at any time, possibly. That's the thing. Yeah. Well, we don't know. Here's the tricky thing is uh, this was going to be the 2020 Edinburgh show. And as we all know, the world shut down. Those visas only last two and a half years. <laughs> so... My visa expired last Friday. <laughs> so ironically, my show about how hard it is to get a partnership visa has now become a fundraiser to get a new partnership visa. Because yeah. they're like crazy expensive as well as like <laughs> very annoying and pedantic to get. Which part of America would you be deported to? Ohio. Ohio. Yeah, this is not a good place to go. That's I'd rather go not... to Rwanda. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I'm from Ohio originally. I lived in New York is where I started stand-up, and then I moved to London, so that's my hop around. And you've been here for quite a while. Yeah, I've been here now eight years, and I've been coming to the Fringe since 2010. Yeah. So I'd come here for the month even when I lived in New York. But she's only been here legally for two and a half years. But I've only been here yeah. Le yeah. legally oh, cheeky, yeah. guys. Oh, man. 620 at the Tron. Check it out. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that you do in your online stuff is... Um, well, you are American, so you're in a position to do this. Oh, yeah, yeah. But American then we're all in a position to do this, which is you compile lists of silly things Americans say. Yeah, so my, uh, the, my followers and viewers send me stories of Americans doing stupid stuff uh, when they're on vacation and, or holiday. And, uh, <laughs> and, yeah, I just compile them and read them out, and everyone goes nuts. Um, Someone sent me a photo, and I did post that, of, we assume they're Americans, we don't know, because obviously it's a photo, of uh, two tourists, very tired, sitting down to rest, and they're sitting on one of those uh, street toilets, those public urinals. Yeah. They're just, I don't know how they didn't, like, couldn't smell it. I don't know how they didn't yeah. know what it was. Um, another one was someone, 
an American tourist went to go tour Dachau, um, which is one of the concentration camps, and afterwards was like, I don't understand, where was everyone's lawyers? Like, <laughs> that was their response. Uh, well, they were in the camps. Um, and uh, there's lighter hearted ones as well. <laughs> that, that one just really came to mind as like one that was like really bad. Uh, and you know, a lot of it is like Americans going up to Australian people and telling them how well they speak English. And um, yeah, it's, it's just ridiculous. Like expecting them to not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like they're, oh, oh, this is a super cute one. Um, someone w uh, told an American that they were from the Netherlands and the American person got really excited and they were like, oh my gosh, like Peter Pan. <laughs> because they, th Neverland, Neverland. they thought the Netherlands, Netherlands was Neverland. They thought it was the same thing. So wow. some of them are really cute. And that's layered because that means they think Neverland is a place. Yeah. And that people yeah. are coming from there. Yeah, exactly. Where I a where a lot of drugs are legalized, hence you can fly. Exactly. That's, that's, this is all making sense. Exactly. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, you have a podcast as well, Abigail, which, which I, um, is a, tell us, that it's, wait, it's, the name isn't Neurodivergent Podcast, it's... Neurodivergent Moments. Neurodivergent Pod Moments yeah. Podcast. So uh, I have ADHD and my co-host Joe Wells is autistic. And um, we interview other creative people about how our minds are, you know, wired a little differently. And those little moments where you're like, oh, yeah, most people don't do things this way. Um, and yeah, because so many podcasts we found about neurodivergency, um, especially um, being autistic and ADHD, are like really serious. And we were just like, we just want to talk about the funny parts of it. Yeah. <laughs> and what is the scope? Because I always think that neurodivergent, the scope of that term can be quite enormous. Because I was even thinking the other day, I often am convinced that I just don't feel things as much as other people. And then I was like, this must make me interact with people in a different way. Mm -hmm. For example, quite happy to let someone down. Like I'm happy to tell them no to something in ways. And then I was like, perhaps I'm neurodivergent. <laughs> That's not what that means, though, for you, right? I mean, it, it's a much bigger scope than people think. So neurodivergent means that your mind um, works differently than a neurotypical person. Like, that's literally the yeah. definition. So that could be so many things, and it is so many things. So it is like ADHD, autism, dyspraxia, dyslexia, bipolar disorder. Um, uh, I think, oh, God, what's it called? Oh, I, I'm gonna say the wrong word, and the other, the old version of the word is bad. Um, but yeah, like it's, it's more. A lot of people think it's just ADHD and it's no, just but it's, autism, it but be, it's yeah. it's a widespread um, psychopaths. That's yes, yes, but there's there is now a uh, a a politically correct term for that. Oh, is that the I one you're trying remember. to think of? Yeah, I yeah, just yeah it was. Not just, I was, I don't, what's it called? Uh, Wait, are we really trying to humanize border the psychopaths? Uh, border personality disorder. Yeah, borderline personality uh, disorder. No, they're not as bad. No, they're they're a separate category from psychopath. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because we don't know what we don't want to upset the psychopaths, do we? I mean, you don't. By, <laughs> by calling them the wrong thing. You don't. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that'd be terrible. But I think a lot of creative people historically have presumably been neurodivergent in certain ways. I mean, if you think about like 
Mozart writing the stuff he wrote when he was four. Oh, absolutely, you know? on the spectrum. And I think I, I have some of my musician friends who are, it's, it's particularly, there's a sort of, you'll know this, John, like there's some, there's almost like a superhuman intellectual approach to music. Like when I play piano, that's not what I'm doing. I can play serviceably, but I have friends who almost think like scientifically um, and can break down and, and change keys and yeah. stuff like on the fly, like a jazz musician. And he's, so yeah, no, it's just like oh. incredible. Jacob Collier, have you seen oh, his yes, stuff? Oh yes, yes. That, that's him. I mean, he's in. Yeah. It's not human what he can do. Uh -huh. It's inhuman. It's amazing. Yeah. Jacob Collier, like, uh, will will conduct a room full of, you know, audience people to. He'll live coordinate a harmony. He'll live yeah. music and direct improvise and stuff oh, wow. with them. Yes. Yeah, and improvise, and it's just incredible. Part of it's almost like a behavioral science of understanding that the human mind will lean into. Uh, Will we avoid dissonance? So it's actually going to sound nice if you get people to do it more than you would think. So no, he's not working with like a choir of people who no, can no, sing. Just it's no, like no, his, his audience that have come to see him. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. 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 and it, twelve it, part harmony with an audience that can't. I'm not trained. Yeah, and just to, you know, it's like it's to be able to like X-ray vision concepts and <laughs> pull out. It's just really impressive. But I think this must be something that's was per perhaps went unnoticed for a long time of like that those yep. ways of thinking you can actually harness a lot of your creative energy if you understand what your relationship is to typical or atypical thought yeah totally i mean i got diagnosed um just a couple years ago and it's been really eye-opening because it's like oh that's why certain things are more difficult for me or certain things are more easy for me. And now instead of like trying to like force myself to like get up at 9 a.m. and like be working at this time and like trying to like live a life that make that is more typical, I'm just like, oh, so my brain is chaos and that's why I can't do that stuff. Yeah. So I'll just live in chaos and embrace it. And I actually am a far more, uh, productive person when I lean into it. Yeah. My, my youngest son is 11. He's just been diagnosed with ADD and autism, mm -hmm. mild autism. Um, and he's using that for everything that we tell him to do now. <laughs> he's 11, like anything, like, Alfie, can you put your shoes on, please? We're about to go out. And he just ignores me because he's on his iPad. You know, which I guess part of that can be that. And after the fifth time, I'm, I'm not shouting. I'm like, Alfie, I've asked you five times. And he'll put it on, Dad, I've got ADD. And picks the iPad up again. I'm like, you, gonna, <laughs> yeah. He's using it as an excuse for everything. So we should never have told him he had it, really. <laughs> John, in your show, um, I, so the, tell me again the title of your show. Against the odds. Against the odds. That's right. And I, we we saw the poster today as I was walking. I had to walk to Primark in between the, oh, my previous so shows. I know. And I had to walk all the way downtown. And I saw your poster. I was like, oh, there he is. I know my um, audience. I'm outside Primark. It's, yeah, you're, it's, <laughs> you're outside it's Primark. It's all good. Waiting for everyone to come out. And you're in your scrubs there because your uh, your show deals with a sort of medical aspect of the journey of the last couple of yeah, years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got so I got diagnosed with cancer at the beginning of the BGT process, and mm. I ignored it because I was going through BGT, and I'm an idiot. Uh, it was just a mole that appeared and whatever. So I left it for about four months, and when I finally got it checked out, it had turned into a melanoma, and it was quite deep into my into my head. So they had to cut it out, and they gave me a skin graft, and then they checked to see it hasn't spread. And that took months and months and months, all during BGT. So a lot of BGT, I was waiting to find out. 
Uh, oh, if it's Simon spread. Cal must have loved that. Well, that's the thing. We didn't tell him. Oh, you didn't no, tell him. No, kept, we kept it completely quiet. I mean, par- I partly it. because I didn't want it to be my story, yeah. Yeah. but mostly because I wanted to write a show about it and bring it to Edinburgh, and I didn't want it to get out before, <laughs> I, before I launched the show. Um, I started writing about it when I was going through it because I wasn't handling it well. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, was, um, I thought I'd be that guy that was just brave and resilient, but I wasn't. I felt a bit. Um, and I got the all clear just before Christmas 2020, and then in February, they found a tumor in my neck, and they were amazed that it had spread, so now I ha- it had metastasized. So I've had a radical neck dissection, which is a really cool thing, scars up here. Um, and again, that took a long time to, that sort of coincided with my UK tour. Um, so I was trying to in- live the moment of having this career break, which I'd waited my whole life for. And at the same time, I thought I was going to die. Um, so I thought I'd write a show about it and bring it to Edinburgh and make it a comedy. And that's great therapy. Um, so it's a one man comedy musical that rhymes about BGT and cancer. Yes. If that hasn't sold it to anybody listening, I don't know what will. <laughs> so many of the pe- guests we've had on in this past week since we started last week here at the Fringe um, have had a therapeutic aspect to the show they've brought here. Mm. So it seems to be, like, in a strange way, a place of healing for people I think to come so. and to... Because I know, understand people want their story to be heard and to do it in front of an, a room, you know, every night and do a run seems to be really beneficial for artists. Yeah, I, I didn't start writing as a show. I started writing it ideas down just to literally get them out and get them onto paper and, and try and express what I was feeling and go almost like a diary because I've never kept a diary. And if, I was chatting to a friend of mine about it and he said, um, said, this could be a show. He said, this has got a beginning, a middle and end. It's got an arc, it's got pathos, it's got comedy. It's got, um, he said, it could be something you could take to Edinburgh. And I've never done it, I've always wanted to. Um, so I you know, approached some friends that produced stuff here and said, is this something that could work? And they went, well, we won't know until you go there. So, yeah. <laughs> and it's been going well, it's been fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, I always ask the audience if they have any questions, and I should have probably, I always forget to say that at the start, so that if you have anything, you can keep it in your minds. Do you have any questions for our guests today, gentlemen? Uh, Sam does. Sam is very, very Sam, Sam, Sam brought... We have we, an interesting fact, one of our friends, Oh, who, who's your friend? Oh, cool. Let me repeat that for... Yeah, it's really fun. So I book most of our guests, and it's really fun to see the difference between the ADHD people and the um, autistic guests, because the autistic guests are like, I'll be like, hi, I'm just confirming that we're going to do a Zoom interview, and they're like, yes, of course, why not? It's been in my diary. I will be there right on time. And then the ADHD people are like, what time is it? Where do I go? Do I need to be at your house? It's like five minutes before. I'm like, get on your computer, asshole. Like, I don't know if your friend has this, but like, in one time we, we were trying to, Joe and I just keep going off tangent, and one of our guests like brought their own questions. <laughs> like we, I go off off tangent, and it and it like she was like not that into it, so she'd be like, "So, Sara, how did you and your partner meet?" Thank you, and she just <laughs> answered her own questions. It's great. It's one of my favorite episodes. A question I've been asking the guests here, um, for some reason that goes around in my mind. So I thought I'll ask uh, my guest this question. It's interesting to see everybody's different response. Um, are you happiest when you're on stage? Um, happiest? Happy, 
um, yeah, uh, I know it's quite a common thing with entertainers that we're happier on stage in front of thousands than we are walking into a party of 100 or even mm. 10, you know. Um, I think when you're on stage, you know everybody's looking at you and you're in control because you know what you're doing, hopefully mm. if you're on stage. Whereas walking into a party, I don't know what I'm doing, I'm not particularly smooth or yeah. cool or... You Your know. arms become long and enormous. Yeah, and, like, and, and, and all I? of a sudden you're really fake. I'm just going to stand over there with my drink and try and look nonchalant and pretend I know what I'm... Whereas on stage, you know, I, I'm much more comfortable. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know if I'm, I'm happiest. I mean, I, I love... Uh, I'm converting a tour bus at the minute and... Um, I'm happy with in my in my in my work gear with a saw and a uh, yeah I love doing all that as well so yeah. it's um but yes the stage for me is a, is actually a happy place yeah pretty much yeah well it's interesting like talking about lockdowns as a comedian it's always bugged me when other comics go comedy is just a form of therapy and then we weren't allowed to do it for two years and I was like oh fuck that was my therapy I didn't realize that that's what it was um I would say I am most happiest performing. I don't know if I'm most happiest while performing because for me, when it's like going really well, it's almost like entering a dream state. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you're just, you're, you know what's going on, but then when it's done, you're kind of like come out of it and you're like, wow. Mm. So like, I love that feeling afterwards and I love it during, but it's hard to be like, that's when I'm happiest because there's so much going on. I don't know exactly what I'm feeling. Does that? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. I think people enter, I think one of the things is that you can get into a flow state when you're performing. Yeah. Where it consumes all of your attention. Yeah. So your awareness of being consumed, uh, all your attention being consumed, uh, it falls away. So everything else falls away. So you can become quite focused and it can feel really... Yeah. And you come off stage and look back at it and go, what the fuck yeah. just yeah. happened then? It's like, yeah. Good and bad. I mean, yeah. Even the worst nights, what the fuck just happened then? Yeah. It's funny what you say about the lockdown because I had assumed, because I've been doing shows for 14 years or whatever, I had assumed that it was important to my mental health to perform. I'd never thought about it much, but I just thought, I bet if I stopped doing shows and, you know, and singing all these, I had all the power ballads and all, I sing songs that I love and lots of drama and camping over the top. I bet if I stop doing those, I'll start to get really like antsy or frustrated or angry or all that. And none of that happened. Mm. Oh, it turned okay. out during, and you know, I wasn't doing shows for like six months or something during that, that first six months of lockdown. And I was just like, oh, this is fine. It turns out that I didn't have a strong desire to have the applause <laughs> that I thought I did. I just assumed I yeah, must yeah. need it because I was working all the time. And then, nah. I would say, like, having time off made me, gave me space away from performing that, like, post-Pandy Abaglia now has standards and uh, limits. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I won't perform at any gig no matter what the cost. Like, yeah. now I'm like, oh, I won't, I won't do that. And um, the one thing when we started gigging again, I don't know if you guys had like one thing that you were like weirded out about, but for the first time, it's as an adult, I could eat dinner every day at the same time. Yeah. And then when we started gigging again, my first thought was, when do I eat? Mm. Like, I was like really worried about that because I really, I like dinner. It's do you my eat, favorite. Do you, do you wait to eat till after a show? Um, I, yeah. I wouldn't eat before a show. Uh, I, I can if I'm. I'm not one of those people that can't eat. I mean, if I'm hungry, I'll eat. But it, I, mm. then I've also done shows and gone, oh god, I shouldn't have. Not maybe not pasta and burgers and stuff. But I like the wind uh, down. You know, when I get in. Yeah. I like that if I finish a show, I get home at eleven o'clock. Because really, for me, 
there's two things that could happen after 11 o'clock after mm-hmm. a show. It's I'm feeling now hyper social, really ready to go out and have fun and drink and just be a mess or be hungover the next day. Or I go home and I'm like, I can't just go to bed. So I like to cook. Yeah. So I f- yeah, I kind of like keep that as well. Also, if I had to get time. into that dress, I don't think I'd be eating carbs before shows. So That's I another mean, thing. I, I, I don't like to go. Yeah, you don't want to be waddling, do you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I used to wear far less um, conservative garments. <laughs> and uh, mind you, that was in the Mephidrone summer of 2014. <laughs> <laughs> we were all skinny then. Uh, thank you to both of you for joining us here on The Vanity Project. So John Cornyn and Abigail Schmann. There you both go. Both have their shows here at the Edinburgh Festival. You can go and see them right the way up until the end of the month. Thank you to our live audience for being here in person at Ooh. The Vanity Project. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Vanity Girl. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.